Kay Cox is a 31-year-old woman from the Dallas, Texas area. She already has two kids. Um, She was looking forward to having her third. And until recently, she was expecting her third. Caroline Kitchener reports on abortion for The Post. And for the past week, she has been following the story of Kate Cox. She was 20 weeks pregnant, and she learned that her baby had trisomy 18, or Edwards syndrome. That is a condition with an extremely low chance of survival. Babies with trisomy 18 usually die before birth or just after. This diagnosis is what's called a fetal fetal anomaly, which means there's very little chance of survival for the fetus. But in Kate Cox's case, there were further complications. She said that she has been to the ER four times during the course of her pregnancy with severe cramping and unidentified fluid leaking. She also has had two C-sections already, so that puts her at a very high likelihood that she would have to have a third, and that would impact her future fertility. In light of all these risks, Cox decided to get an abortion. But because she lives in Texas, that meant a legal battle that went all the way to the state Supreme Court. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers, and it's Wednesday, December 13th. And today, I talked to my colleague Caroline about what happened to Kate Cox and how her story fits into the new frontier of legal challenges to abortion bans. So, Caroline... Given the fact that it is so difficult to get access to an abortion in Texas right now, what happened next for Kate Cox? Well, there are exceptions for medical emergencies, and that exception has been really difficult to interpret because it's really vague. What is a medical emergency? You're asking doctors to, you know, every time a woman shows up with a complication from pregnancy, you're asking them to make a call that if they make the wrong one, could potentially, in Texas, lead to a life sentence in prison. So it's really hard to know what qualifies. And that is sort of the whole central question to Kate Cox's case. And so given all that, what did Kate Cox decide to do? Kate Cox reached out to a lawyer. And she, you know, she made contact with the Center for Reproductive Rights, and they decided to take her case. And she went to a judge. She was the first adult woman under an abortion ban to ask a judge for permission to get an abortion since Roe v. Wade in 1973. Wow. And so what happened from there? I mean, once she made this request to a judge saying, I think I need to get an abortion. Well, you know, they they made an appeal to a Democrat judge in Travis County, Texas. That was Judge Maya Garrett-Gamble. And that judge fairly quickly granted her request and said, yes, you know, you qualify under the medical exception in Texas abortion ban. I am going to grant the temporary restraining order for Ms. Cox, Mr. Cox, and Dr. Carson. The idea that Ms. Cox wants desperately to be a parent And this law might actually cause her to 
lose that ability is shocking and would be a genuine miscarriage of justice. Now, from there, things moved really quickly. The first thing that you saw in response to that lower court order was a letter from State Attorney General Ken Paxton. This was a really remarkable letter. So you have this court order from a judge saying that Kate Cox can get the abortion. And then you have the attorney general saying that even given that court order, any doctor that performs Kate Cox's abortion, any hospital that allows that abortion to be performed on their grounds would be subject to the penalties of the Texas abortion law up to a class one felony. Wow. And but what was the basis of that? If she had made an argument that a judge accepted that her health was at risk, that continuing this pregnancy did constitute an emergency. Well, the state attorney general's office in Texas has kind of a long history, especially with abortion bans, of kind of threatening, um, they call it retroactivity. So basically what Paxton is saying is that you know, sure, there is a temporary court order right now that allows you to get this, but this is just the beginning of the legal process. So if it pans out that subsequent courts, particularly the Texas Supreme Court, doesn't agree with this court order and you go ahead with it, then there are going to be penalties. Wow. So then what happens? Paxton appeals this decision. Where does it go from there? It goes right to the Texas Supreme Court, and it moves really quickly because— You know, this case is unlike any other because there is such a ticking clock. I mean, she is 20 weeks pregnant. You know, viability is 22 to 24 weeks. So there's a really tight timeline. And it is late Friday night that the Texas Supreme Court blocks the lower court order and Mm -hmm. says, you know, no, hold on. We We are going to consider this more fully. But right now, she cannot get this abortion. Now, I know from speaking with her lawyer that Kate Cox spent that entire weekend in bed texting her lawyer saying, have we heard from the court yet? Have we heard from the court yet? She's really scared because every day that passes is it becomes more and more difficult, the situation. And um, it really becomes a question of how long do you wait to get a ruling? So what happened after that? So... We heard on Monday around midday that Kate Cox had made the decision to leave the state to get an abortion elsewhere. So that's it? That's that's the end of this case? Well, so she made the decision to go out of state, left the state. Hours later, we get a full ruling from the Texas Supreme Court, and they rule against her. Hmm. Um, What do they say in the ruling? They say, actually, I would love to read what they said. Hmm. Um, In the ruling, the Texas Supreme Court says, quote, any parent would be devastated to learn of their unborn child's trisomy 18 diagnosis. Some difficulties in pregnancy, however, even serious ones, do not pose the heightened risk to the mother that the exception encompasses. What's really difficult here is that judges are in a position to act as doctors. Hmm. You know, this is a really complicated medical case. And with someone who has had high risk pregnancies in the past. Right. And it's not as simple as 
this condition puts you at a high risk or doesn't, right? Because you can have a condition, but you can also have other things going on with your health, and you always do. So, But at least in this quote that you're reading from the Texas Supreme Court, it seems like they're speaking with a level of authority here of, you know, this does not pose a heightened risk to the mother in a way that I think people are fairly asking, like, what what does the Texas Supreme, you know, there are they doctors? They do seem to be making a medical judgment here. And this is kind of uncharted terrain. It's different than the cases that we have seen that challenge the abortion bans on their face on the basis of, you know, they violate the state constitution, for example. That's not really asking the court to make a medical judgment. That's asking them to, you know, to to, to look at the law. This is sort of uncharted territory because you're looking at individual medical cases and asking the court to rule on that. Mm. And it's just a whole different kind of expertise. After the break, I talk with Caroline about how a new wave of legal challenges to abortion bans are coming not from clinics or doctors, but from patients themselves. We'll be right back. So, Caroline, I'm curious how anti-abortion advocates and lawmakers have reacted to this. So I spoke with the head of Texas Right to Life yesterday, and, you know, he's very aware of how deeply upset people are by this case. Um, You know, he said, we're in a very volatile cultural moment right now, and this case shows us that. But I asked him kind of, You know, would you kind of consider, like, are you considering kind of, you know, backing away on cases like this? Like, do you have any sort of mixed feelings about this ruling? And he said, absolutely not. Like, we need to be, he said, clearer than ever right now that we prioritize, you know, the lives of babies. And he said that, um, you know, he, he listed cases They are very rare cases, but they do exist, of trisomy 18 babies living to 12, 15 years old um, and the lives that those those children have. Mm -hmm. Do you think that how this case has played out has set some kind of precedent that will be helpful for anti-abortion advocates going forward? So there is no precedent set in this case because the— Supreme Court was just ruling on the temporary injunction and whether that could go forward just for her case in particular. Um, But like generally these cases, and I do think we're going to see more of them, they don't really set much precedent even on their face because – it is just the individual case, right? It's 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 somebody with this particular condition that has these other factors, and that's sort of the only time that that it would be super relevant to future cases. So it's very very narrow. Caroline, as as you pointed out, Kate Cox is a person who I get the sense like is a little bit more savvy about this, has means to 
contact a lawyer, has means to go out of state for an abortion. I'm sure she was aware going into this what the state of the law was um, when it comes to abortion and that she could have, you know, when she first got that diagnosis, she could have just at that moment said, look, I'm going to go to another state and I'm going to get it done there and um, let this be over with. And so I'm wondering, why do you think that she went through the trouble of this legal challenge? And what is the strategy here? I mean, I assume that that there is some greater thinking by advocates for abortion access that they think something could be gained by going through this legal process. So we have now seen a couple of these cases where women, either during their pregnancies or soon after they experience pregnancy complications, have gone to a judge and have tried to sue the state, um, you know, saying that the abortion laws put their life in danger or um, violated their constant. In, in the case of a, a case in Kentucky, a pregnant woman is saying that the abortion ban violated her constitutional right to privacy and self-determination. Um, they are standing up and they are making the case for themselves. And that is really different than what we have seen up until this point. And explain why it's different. Well, for decades, abortion restrictions of all kinds were challenged by abortion clinics, by Planned Parenthood, by independent abortion clinics, and by doctors. And the reason for that is that, you know, a, a person who is pregnant, it's it's a very narrow window that they have that they are directly affected by these restrictions, right? Because it's the narrow window in which they are pregnant and seeking an abortion. We know that litigation takes a really long time. So mm-hmm. it was very it's very difficult to have um, women be the plaintiffs. But we are seeing that change. And I think there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, I, I asked that question to a lot of people yesterday and you know, they told me, one, that a lot of women are feeling really brave right now and feeling really mad right now. And they want to stand up and make the case not just for themselves, but to try to change things for others. Um, but, you know, it's also the case that since Dobbs, it's really hard now to challenge an abortion ban on its face, to just challenge the whole thing. Hmm. Um, It's really hard to make that case. It's just hard to see a path to overturning them. So it sounds like this is a situation where it's more trying to chip away at different situations. Exactly. And and what does that look like going forward? Um, Well, I think the biggest question, you know, I, I think cases like this, right, one value of them from the abortion rights perspective is they really raise awareness and they get everybody really dialed in to what is happening out there on abortion right now. And it's been a year and a half. So a lot of people are not tuned in all the time in the way that I am as somebody covering this. Um, And especially ahead of the presidential election, you know, Democrats really want people to be paying attention to this issue, which, you know, we know election after election, people are really mad about the abortion restrictions. Um, So, you know, that's one reason why we might see more of them. Um, One reason why we might not see more. I I think whether we see more of them will depend entirely on whether there are pregnant women that feel like they can do this. I mean, now everybody has seen what Kate Cox went through. You know, her lawyer said to me, is anybody else really going to sign up for that? Mm -hmm. I don't know. 
What I found really interesting about this case and hearing you talk about this case is that I think we use the term, like, medical exemption as just sort of like a standard term of like, yeah, and then if there's like risk to the health of the mother, like, that's the one situation where people will have abortion access. And we see that terminology used in laws that have come up um, around the country, but that it sounds like from this case and from others, that's actually like a very complicated term and that that, that there's this like tension between the, the the clarity or the like black and white nature of of the laws that are in place and the realities playing out on the ground. And so then you have courts that it seems like are starting to behave as doctors and and parsing through those complicated situations in ways that I'm sure to experience them, you know, when it's about your health, like it probably feels kind of strange. Yeah, I it's it's a new phase. I mean, it's really, um, you know, judges are given information from both sides like they are hearing from abortion rights supporting doctors and also doctors that don't support abortion rights. And, you know, it is I do think it can be really hard for somebody with no medical background to parse what qualifies as a medical emergency? Mm-hmm. Um, I was interested in your reporting um, that you quoted someone who basically suggested that in some ways this case was effective, what Cox went through, because it was clear that she did not qualify for this medical exemption. And you have these people who are saying, you know, this, this woman who's had you know multiple difficult pregnancies and who's been to the emergency room four times, like how could this not qualify? Um, but But I also wonder what this will look like in the future if essentially in large parts of the country that if you are a person who is in the middle of a dangerous pregnancy that essentially you will now have to go to a court or a lawyer to be able to get medical treatment for that pregnancy. It's hard to imagine that a ton of people are going to do that, I think. I mean, I don't think that it's like, I don't think we're in a situation where it's like, well, this is how everybody's going to get abortion care, because it's just not. And it's it takes an immense amount of resources to, you know, make that connection and be in that position to do that. But, you know, I do think that some of these cases that we're seeing with women at the center, there are a few right now. There's There's one in Texas, there's one in Idaho, there's one in Tennessee that are seeking to broaden the medical exceptions. So, for example, you know, changing them to say, you know, that any time that the health of the mother is at risk, which is a little bit broader than, you know, medical emergency, um, or just making it so that it's a little bit easier for doctors to make these calls without feeling like they could go to jail. Um, so that's an important development. We're waiting on the those decisions. So um, that is an important development that we could see soon. Caroline, thank you so much. Thanks, Martine. Caroline Kitchener covers abortion for The Post. And in related news, on Wednesday, the Supreme Court said that it would decide this term whether to limit access to a key abortion drug known as mifepristone. The medication is part of a two-drug regimen that's used in more than half of all abortions in the U.S., 
A lower court ruling would make it more difficult to obtain mifepristone. But the Biden administration and the manufacturer of the drug have asked the justices to overturn that ruling. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Renny Svernovsky. It was mixed by Ted Muldoon and edited by Maggie Penman. And thank you to Ariel Plotnick. If you find that this kind of journalism is important to you and brings value to your life, we would love if you subscribe to The Washington Post. It is a hugely important way to support the work that we do here. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.